0: This is Psalm 130, a song of ascents. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of my sins, Lord, you could stand. Who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can, with reverence, serve you. I wait for the Lord my whole being waits and in his word I put my hope I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning more than watchmen wait for the morning Israel put your hope in the Lord for with the Lord is unfailing love and with him is full redemption he himself will redeem Israel no sense.
1: Ian, can I get the wee doofer? Cheers, man. <coughs> oh sorry, is that a, that's a glass region term maybe I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no. Thank you, sir. Or, uh, could I have the the projector changer thing Sorry, apologise. In April 1999, you may remember this or not, but Glenn Hoddle, who was the English manager then, uh, said these words in in a a, quite a... uh, It wasn't the main part of the interview. And um, it was a throwaway question by the journalist just because the, the press knew that Hoddle was religious. And in his question... In his answer to the throwaway question by the Times journalist Hoddle said this, you and I have been physically given two hands and two legs and half decent brains. Some people have not been born like that for a reason. The karma is working from another lifetime. I have nothing to hide about that. It is not only people with disabilities. What you sow, you have to reap. You have to look at things that happened in your life and ask why. It comes around and uh, the press obviously got hold of that and the pressure on Glen Hoddle was huge because those who were advocates of people with disabilities were really upset about what Glenn Hoddle said. Uh, they deserve what they have got in life uh, is one way in which it was interpreted and so the pressure mounted, the English FA tried all sorts of things to try and smooth it over but it didn't work and eventually Glenn Hoddle resigned from the England management post. However what Glenn Hoddle was doing was expressing the views held by one billion people and yet he was in a public role where your words are scrutinised and he said I would think anyway, the wrong thing at the wrong time. But it's a view that's held by one billion Hindus around the world. Hindus generally regard suffering as punishment for deeds done in past life. It's an accumulation of karma. And that phrase has come into our vocabulary. Um, he's just getting his karma. You know, he's rude to someone and then two seconds later he stumbles over and falls flat on his face. That's karma catching up with him. So that's really got uh, into our language quite a lot. But it's, it's Hinduism. Who, who believe in this cycle of lives until you reach, I guess, the, the wrong word I'm using, perfection. And so women, unfortunately, you have had a bad life prior um, to this one. You may have been a male in the last life, <laughs> and, uh, and because of bad karma you've now came back as a woman. My dog buddy, who my kids absolutely adore, may have been a woman in the past life. What you reap um, is what you sow. That is the idea of karma. regards to Hinduism, I'm being very general and and I'm very very broad brushed here. Buddhists say that we suffer because of spiritual ignorance. Suffering, pain, guilt, shame, anxiety is all because of spiritual ignorance and and our inaccurate perception of the world and what it means to be human. So if you're suffering it's because You're not understanding what life is really all about. You have to dig deeper and work out true meaning in life and and a true path. And only once you get in that true path are you then enlightened. We suffer, as Buddhists say, because we're too attached to this world and we need to become detached from this world. Muslims generally see suffering as a way to submit to the will of Allah. Allah. And so Islam teaches that pain uh, leads to repentance and also to good deeds. And the more good deeds you do in your life, then more pleasing are you to Allah. And then maybe, just maybe, you'll go to paradise. Not with Allah, because Allah won't be in paradise, because Allah is one and you can't know Allah. But you'll go to paradise with all your gents, hunters of virgins or whatever else is meant to be there. But you need to work towards that and work off the suffering. Um, As Christians, I want to read this scripture to you. Our saviour knows full well. Our saviour sympathises. Emmanuel, God is with us with dirt under his fingernails. From Hebrews chapter 2. But we do see Jesus who was made lower than the angels for a little while but crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. And bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. We have a Savior who knows and says, not my will, but yours be done, and set his faith face to Calvary. We've been going through these Psalms of Ascent, and it's journeying Psalms. The church, does, post-COVID, does not exist in that form. There is much that we have left behind that is good to leave behind. Do not think that we are journeying towards what it used to be like We are not journeying forward to what it used to be like because it was not perfect. And so the Psalms of Ascent, these journeys, this playlist for the journey and these prayers, they're all about pilgrimage going forward in the kingdom and worship to God, to meet uh, God. And we've seen in previous weeks that Many of the Psalms deal with external influences, people coming against us, situations. But in this Psalm, the journey goes deep. The journey goes in, and it's a, a, an inward pilgrimage that we're looking at here in Psalm 130. Yes, on this day of Pentecost, and this day, the birth of the Church. It's almost like we're going back to the core things, and we're going deep. explore our heart our motives and only you can do that and you're mulling over in your mind Um, and so we're going to try and do that first of all we're we're going to do it through two ways we're going to look at the depth within the psalm can I have my Bible I've done it within my Bible can I get a Bible thank you as well we're going to look at the depth of the psalm and then we're going to look at the height of the psalm very very simple i would as another bible i would encourage you to keep your bibles open <laughs> i've just, just stole isabella's i'm okay <laughs> apologize as well verse 1 about the depth he says out of the depths i cry to you O lord so metaphorically he is in the pits Metaphorically, emotionally, psychologically, he's in the pit. He's depressed. He's he's low. Everything is not bright and cheery and rosy. That's how the psalm starts off. This pilgrim, this pilgrim on his way to Jerusalem, wrote down, and it's we've now got it. It says, "Out of the depth, I cry to you, O Lord. Why is he?" Cr- what reason and I guess we need to look deep but he says oh Lord hear my voice let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy he's not just down it's, it's the black big black dogs not just visited him for a moment he is seriously down he's asking for mercy for the from the Lord not just a pick me up but mercy have mercy have mercy it's as if He's holding on by a thread. And I would, and I have for the rest of this uh, talk this morning, this sermon this morning, based it around two words, shame and guilt. He's got shame and guilt in his mind and he's coming to the Lord on this inward journey and saying, Lord, hear the cries of my heart as I cry to you from the depth, not surface level. And I'm crying to you for mercy. I'm overwhelmed with my failure. I look in the mirror and I don't like what I see. I stand up at a lectern and you know full well the things that I've been struggling with. Lord, have mercy. So, so what? If that is how the psalmist is feeling, what's this got to do for me? What what are the challenges here and even these First verses. Well, I'm going to break you all into potentially two groups of people. The first group are those people who relate to the psalm and those people who just don't feel it. They're not feeling it. So two people. And I'm sure there will be some of you who may fall out of these two categories, but it's the best I can do. So if you're the person who relates to the psalm, maybe you do look at the mirror. Or maybe you don't open up scripture and you read and you don't like how scripture is reading you. You don't like how it makes you feel because the shame and the guilt eh, all too easily explodes. I, I wanted to do a video of someone this morning but I forgot. And I, I wanted to give them a can I iron brew because it's Scotland's other national drink. And I wanted them to shake it. And you know what's going to happen. And when they open it, even with a new ring pull, which sort of changes the fizz, but it would explode. And that is kind of a, what some people feel. All it takes is a little bit of shaking. And, it, and something happens and the lid comes off. Someone just looks at you in the wrong way and the anger bubbles up, and you give them a look. I met someone on Friday. They came to visit me in my home. And and we've got a difficult relationship. And it's because of some things that have been unsaid. And we are now redeeming that. But this person said something I countered. They countered with a look that really said everything. And the truth is, a lot of us, if we're shaken, it doesn't take much for something to come out. And if that is you, and I think I'm going to gather most people in that sort of analogy, then there's something in Psalm 130 that speaks to us. The word, the holy book, God's word of life to us, this morning is here to speak to us. The pandemic has happened and life afterwards has changed. The church should not go back to what it was trying to be in the past because if I reflect and there's a core team of reflecting where have we really created disciples of Jesus Christ some areas we have but other areas we've not we've serviced a program and a way of doing things so we've been shaken and not just this church I'm sure the people from Inversnecke and, and, and wherever else Glasgow and, and our churches are shaken my question is this, is the Lord in that shaking? What is God doing with his church whom he loves? He's given his name to us and he has committed to always bring about his purpose in our life. So what has this shaking been all about from the Lord? It's a question I can't answer just now and I don't know if I'll ever. So the pandemic has shaken us, just not individually, but corporately as well. And maybe you're just disappointed with yourself. Maybe you're ashamed. Maybe you're guilty. If that's where you're at, the psalmist said here, out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. And do you know what? The Lord meets us in that cry. It's called caris. It's called grace. Where God reaches down from on high. And plucks us out from where our enemies were too strong for us. Psalm 118 says our enemies confronted us in the day of our disaster that was going to happen. But the Lord, because he delighted in us, took us and put us in a place of pasture. That is our God. And that is what he would do today if only we turn and face him. If only we would allow what is here to come out here. But there are those who just don't feel the sam at all. So out of the depths I cry. And it may be uh, that you just feel numb. I know because I've experienced that all too often. I, I read this and I feel numb. People are singing and I'm looking at them and I'm just not feeling it. And ultimately it's because I'm just holding things back. And I'm talking about those who would consider themselves disciples of Jesus Christ. If you're still checking Jesus out, you're intrigued, and you might feel stirring, great, hallelujah. Don't, don't, don't step back from that. Go with the flow and see where God will take that. If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, and you're looking at things and you're feeling numb, then there is something there that isn't right. And verse 4, I think, speaks to that person clearly. But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. Now, that's me went to American Standard Version, New Kings, James. The NIV says revered. But I think this word, feared, captures it um, better. The Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Yahweh Elohim. And the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is a holy God. Holy is blazing purity. A God who will not tolerate sin and rebellion. And although he is intimate and he comes and he he just touches the parts that no one else can and he knows the very hairs on the head. He is intimate. He is not our best buddy or a bumbling old granddad. That is not who we are, but sometimes in our exuberance of the intimacy of God, we've made him our best mate. He is a holy God, set apart. Now, Miranda spoke, my wife spoke last week just about her granny, my kid's great granny, who um, is now in in glory. My memory of granny is this. When she read scripture and when she more often than not she cried tell you more often than not what does that say to me that says to me a woman who is full of joy a woman who knew salvation who appreciated salvation who brought tears to her eyes now you will have your hero of faith someone who you look to who is still with us or not and, and it will inspire you great and that is someone who fears the Lord. That is someone who is not numb. That is someone who has opened their life up and continues to open their life up or did continue to open their life up right to the very end when they gave up their breath, their wrath to the Lord. Maybe you don't feel guilt anymore. Maybe you don't feel shame and maybe that's a reflection of how out of touch you are with God. And maybe how out of touch you are with yourself. So two people there. But here's a biblical fact. Very briefly. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And as verse 3 says, If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who would stand? This is, I, I just what I put out there is... is, is. A fact as Christians we believe this that no one is here because they have done anything to merit them being here so if if a reporter was asking me about shame was asking me about my religious belief I would say yep I'm guilty as sin but you know what Jesus has paid the price not because I am brilliant but because he is outrageous he is just incredible and he has said it is finished that's biblical fact For those as we just continue on in this psalm to the heights. So what should we do then with the shame? And what should we do with the guilt? How do we make that journey? Well I want to say don't do this. Generally speaking this is very common today. To just suppress and deny truth. Because we ask the question of, it's your truth, and you therefore should live your truth. It's not my truth. And so there's this very subjective truth out there. And people are encouraged to live in the moment. Actually, some of it came from Freud, who said that shame and guilt were just um, things that had been imposed from generations in the past, and we had to break free. That was norms of past generations and now we are more enlightened. I know again, I'm generalising Freud greatly here, but it was was something that was made up. Whereas Psalm 130 doesn't say that. Psalm 130 implores us, it's real. And there's a reason that you may be feeling shame and guilt. So don't suppress it, don't reject it, don't put it down. Shame and guilt is, is real. We feel it at times, and there's a reason we feel it, much like when we feel pain. There's a reason why we feel pain. Steve prayed for my arm. i got terrible pains in my arms just now, and Steve prayed for it. There's something wrong with my arm. May Lord heal it. But pain can sometimes be a good thing, and therefore guilt and shame. Where is it coming from? Why am I feeling this? Don't suppress it. Don't ignore it. Don't walk out. Deal with it. Examine it, and get it sorted. So, don't try and suppress it. Suffering uh, and suppressing the shame and guilt doesn't work. Eventually, at some point, it will explode out. And don't try to work your way out of guilt. This is like trying to prove that you're good enough. And I, this is a quote that I've written a while back. I've got a wee book called uh, Notes and Quotes. And this is by a guy called Preston Sprinkle. Crazy name, fantastic author. And uh, he says this, you can't make God love you. God loves you because of who he is and because of what Christ has done. His love is not based on what you do or what you don't do. Take that in. God doesn't get angry at Christians because all of his anger, 100%, was absolutely absorbed by Jesus on the cross so don't fall for some Pharisee Christianity where you have to prove. Don't volunteer to be on groups in the church because um, you know you feel guilty that you're not doing anything and everybody else is doing something. Only do it if you feel called to do it. Don't try and prove that you're good enough because you'll never ever do that. God doesn't get angry with Christians because 100% was absorbed. By Jesus on the cross. So there's some things that I would say that you shouldn't do. So what should you do with guilt and shame? Back into Psalm 130 here. And the first one is this. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who would stand? Dead simple, confess your sins and your guilt and your shame. The first step, the path of forgiveness is honesty. This is who I am. Naked and blind I come. I think the Roman Catholics potentially have got something that we've forgotten. They do confession. Now yes, you may object to that form of confession where you go to a priest and you knock on his wee door and you sit in there and you confess your sins and the priest goes and tells you to say 10 Hail Marys, 10 Our Mothers and whatever else there are. And then that's you absolved of those sins. What do we do as, as Protestants? Sometimes all we do is when we come to the Lord's table, which is here as once a month, we're somber and we're reflective when we ask for forgiveness. I'm not saying that's all of us, but some people treat communion and the Lord's Supper like that. Whereas there is something about confessing to one another, not just to God and, and the quietness of your quiet time, but actually to say to someone you trust, that's why I'm a big advocate of life groups, of community groups, of people that you properly journey with. They know you, in time you trust them. And so you can say, this is what I'm struggling with. And I am in groups where guys will say I'm struggling with porn. I'm, I'm struggling with, with that and what it's doing to me. And so we journey honestly with one another. That is healthy confession. Where you're speaking it out and breaking the cycle. Rather than just with you and the Lord. Rather than just once a month. And rather than just going to a priest and chapping in his wee door and saying all these things and then going back the next month. Or the next week or the next day. So confession is, is something that we... Yeah, I want to... Uh, before I say things I shouldn't say, I want to um, encourage confession in the life of the church. Second thing is, um, with you there is forgiveness. So therefore receive mercy. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, what tell you one story? A story of a guy called jeremy Damer. He was a serial killer who um, came to faith in April 1994. Who was born again in April 1994. And you may think there was great rejoicing in the church who heard about this. But because of the sins of the past, there was cynicism, anger and frustration. Many Christians were just not happy when they heard that this guy, Jeffrey Dahmer, had came to faith. It's because he engaged in uh, necrophilia and cannibalism. And the Christians in that community at the time believed that his crimes were too vile We're too twisted and we're too unspeakable to forgive. True story. Grace isn't just God's ability to save sinners, but God's stubborn delight in his enemies. Even the creepiest of enemies. And with the Lord there is forgiveness. Whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever you have done. Third thing. For with the Lord is unfailing love. So bask in God's love. Bask in that. And I, I briefly quoted it earlier on, I'm sure. But here is Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is with you. Bask in that. The mighty warrior who saves he will take great delight in you and his love he will no longer rebuke you but will rejoice over you with singing. Israel, put your hope in the Lord for if the Lord is unfailing love and with him is full redemption. And when the psalmist here is saying him he's saying Jesus. Jesus is in Psalm 130. The author, the perfecter of our faith is right here. So we may be in the pit of despair. We may be suffering and feel that we are without hope. God doesn't throw us a rope. God doesn't throw us a manual of escapology. God throws himself right in the pit with us. God comes right where we are. Emmanuel, God with us. Again, dirt under his fingernails. Divine grace means that despite our filth, despite the sewage that is running through our veins, despite our odd addiction to food, our addiction to drink, our addiction to sex, our addiction to porn, our addiction to self, our addiction to money, our addiction to comfort, our addiction to success, and on and on and on. God aggressively pursues and delights in redeeming freakishly people like us. I think that is absolutely outrageous. And so what I've done here in Psalm 130 in response to what Glenn Hoddle said in that report. is show the Christian response to suffering. Psalm 130 may not be speaking so much about external, but internal. But we live in our thoughts a lot. And some of us live in our shame a lot. And live in our guilt. I know myself, I lived for seven years with on and off depression about a great big secret that was no great big secret at all. And it killed me and killed me and killed me. How long? Seven years. When did it break? When I confessed to someone I trusted. And it wasn't a confession. And what happened? The Redeemer set me free. Restored my joy, gave me a future, because without speaking that out at that time I did, I would not have had a future with my wife because her visions were different, and I was not fully open. So wait for the Lord. And as you wait for the Lord, put your hope in the Lord. Put your hope in him who is worthy, who is our king, who will come again. Put your hope in Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. As we journey into something new as the church, into something new in our life, into the things that have not been completed that Lord, the Lord is going to do. It can be paused in silence. I want to lead us through just some prayers in response. But first of all, let's be silent. Let's pray here. God is always at work by the Holy Spirit to bring light and darkness, hope and despair, healing and pain and desolation, glory and suffering. Whatever we're going through, the prayer, come Holy Spirit, changes everything. And we pray, come Holy Spirit. my darkness I pray come Holy Spirit in my despair I pray come Holy Spirit in pain and desolation I pray come Holy Spirit In my suffering, I pray, come Holy Spirit. And now as I prepare to enter into the rest of this day, the Lord who loves me says in Luke's Gospel, How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And I pray, come Holy Spirit.